check, check, check. Okay. Sorry, guys. I uh, need to explain that. Jane went through a narrow passage where there were a lot of cables, and she wasn't careful, and so one of the cables got entangled in her leg, and she pulled it out, and we had a temporary power loss. And this is Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, um, thanks, man. I'll hold it when I write. Yeah. Guys, uh, yesterday we were talking about Baal Perizim, and uh, today is a continuation of that. Unfortunately, if you come for a Sunday service and have not listened to the Saturday evening service, which was less than 20 hours ago, uh, you kind of um, are at a loss to um, um, to grasp some of the things that I'm continuing from. And so I'd suggest you go home and listen to it, because otherwise this will be incomplete. So a lot of it refers to the teaching yesterday. And this is Val Perizim part two. And yesterday we looked at God as a breaker. Breaker with a capital B, God as a breaker. Another name we used for him is the master of breakthrough. Another name we used for him is the possessor of the breach. And so today we look at another breaker, because we are saying that over the next 49 days, and uh, again, you'll have to go back to yesterday's teaching to understand what I'm talking about. For the next 49 days, we'll be doing prayer walks, prayer bikes, and prayer drives across the city. And every day in the morning, I'll be telling you what to pray for. I will post it on YouTube uh, with limited access, so I'll send you the link. And then uh, for the next 49 days, we'll be praying for a break in the city so that we have the master of breakthroughs, the possessor of the breach, the breaker, breakthrough into the city and then see what happens because um, enough of teaching and talking, time to do stuff. Uh, so what I'm about to talk about uh, today will give you an idea of another breaker in the Bible who did something amazing and it will also give us an idea of what we are doing and what to be aware of and how to prepare for it. So if you go to Judges chapter 16... Verse 3. Judges 16, verse 3. Judges 16, 3. It's the story of Samson. Samson was an amazing breaker. Yeah, he had a really... Um, ugly side to his life that at the end of the day was his undoing but man he was a possessor of breaches a master of breakthroughs and a breaker that God had here on earth and so verse 3 says but Samson lay there as in lay with this woman who was a prostitute but Samson lay there only until the middle of the night then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. One more time. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulder and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. 
So why talk about Samson and why bring this up? Because I believe over the next 49 days, when we begin to pray, what we are literally doing is removing the gates of this city in prayer walks, in prayer drives, in prayer bikes, removing the gates of the city over the next 49 days so that heaven can flood the city. And this will become a pattern for other cities around the world where you're literally going removing the gates of the city. Why? So that nothing can stop floods from heaven coming into the city, washing it. Nothing will be able to stand in the way of the onslaught of heaven as we begin to pray, but it requires the removing of the gates of the city. The problem with it, though, is that if we go removing the gates of the city in prayer walks and prayer drives, it will provoke a response, and the response will be a little like chapter 16, verse 2. And in chapter 16, verse 2, it says, the people of Gaza, or the people of that city, were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all the night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we will kill him. So if you're out to remove the gates of a city that prevent the entry of good things and allow bad things to ferment, and you're planning to remove the gates of the city, know that there will be resistance. It will provoke a response, and that response can be spiritually and physically a kind of response that weighs you down. Physically, it can weigh you down. Spiritually, it can weigh you down. It can bring this sense of dullness, of sluggishness into your life. It can try and see uh, if something can be physically undone in your life. There is a resistance. There is an opposition. So I want us to be very sober as we... Uh, can someone turn the AC off if the, if the AC is on? Because um, um, Tuni looks like he's coming in from the North Pole. <laughs> yeah. Most of us have our masks on. He has more than a mask. Maybe turn it off. Pardon? Oh, the windows are open. The windows are like, I guess, had to stay open because uh, it aerates the place with fresh air. But the electrician will fix that thing and we'll be warm again. Thank you. Maybe I should send the two doctorates here in the room to fix it. Dr. Prashant and Dr. Manoj. No? Most of the guys who are educated here spend a lot of money for nothing, eh? Starting with Derek Don and down the road. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is Jacob. You must be so glad to have Jacob in your life. You're so blessed to have a Jacob in your life. I bet you look up to Jacob. Yes, good. That's Jacob, that's Jeremy's brother. Oh, you thought I was talking about myself. True, but <laughs> we're talking about this Jacob. Yeah. So, so know that there'll be this uh, spiritual pushback that sometimes will affect physically, but most of the time it'll be a spiritual pushback. So the reason I'm teaching quickly is because... Um, it is unfortunately normal for this to happen. And if a people don't learn fast to resist this, we'll have to go through this rigmarole of taking time to start our engine over the next 49 weeks. 
I've been to Prince George only once, and I'm happy that I only went there once. But you're not supposed to turn your car off, because if you turn your car off, you may never turn it on for the next six months till summer comes. And so they plug it into um, um, a socket so that it stays warm through the night. I mean, but we don't want to be like that. When we deal with things like that, you don't want to be a car that takes forever to start because you turned it off and now you don't know how to turn it on. But there will be a spiritual sluggishness that will try to come over this church. And it is so easily beatable if people are aware of it. It's got nothing to do with the weather. It's got nothing to do with the music or the worship team. Nothing. It's just a sluggishness that will try to douse us. Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to remove the gates of the city. Any questions on that one before we go on? Oh, it gets worse. This is just the beginning. Okay. The great thing is, though, Samson leaves Gaza with the gates on his back. Samson leaves the Gazites and their city breached, broken, humiliated. That's the outcome. Samson leaves the city breached, broken, humiliated. He leaves the residents breached, broken, humiliated. That is the outcome. That should still be the outcome. The thing is, God can do this with one or two people. Samson was not a team player. And when there is no team, God can choose a player. But God would prefer having team players and a whole team playing to get this done. But if you don't, he's fine with doing it without. He's always had champions that step up. But his preference since Christ came was, can I have the body rise as one man rather than one person? What's amazing is what Samson actually did with Gaza's gates after he uprooted them. What Samson did with Gaza's gates after he uprooted them. He put them on his shoulders and took them to the top of the hill that is opposite Hebron. Now Hebron was a hill that Judah, as that Caleb, asked for. Where he said, can I have those hills? There are Anaks there. I want that hill. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. And he was the one who took Hebron. It was given to him as his territory. It was a promise granted to him. And so Samson takes the gates that he has uprooted. He puts them on his shoulders and takes them to the top of the hill that is opposite Hebron. So why is that amazing? Because Hebron was 62 kilometers away from Gaza. That's the distance from Tuasen to... Uh, uh, that's the distance from Vancouver to Squamish. The guy carries the gate 62 kilometers. Yep. Yep. One hill this way, one hill that way. Hebron can see what's happening. He takes it 62 kilometers up a hill that is 900 meters high. That's the other crazy thing. The entire road from Gaza to Hebron is an ascent. Hebron is a place, it's not a hill. So he, he takes the gates. I mean, that is a supernatural feat here. It's one thing to pull out the gates. Another thing to put it on his back and start walking at midnight, traveling about... 62 kilometers in six or seven hours because as the sun is coming up, he's on, he's on this mountain opposite Hebron. This guy was something else. That's how breakers work. We'll talk about what is required for being a breaker. 
But it's a mindset, guys, that we need. One of the things that I was um, thinking of, uh, I watched bits of um, yesterday's meeting. And uh, one of the things that uh, Jane said was, this is new territory that we are entering into. We need a new mindset for this. We have not been here before. It's new territory. This kind of mindset, where a man pulls up a gate is not enough, he now takes it all the way, 62 kilometers from Vancouver to Squamish, continuous ascent up to about 900 meters opposite Hebron, so that the people in Hebron can see what he has just done. And as the sun rises, he's standing there. Why was he doing it? Because in the carrying the gates to Hebron, he's announcing a few things that I believe God is asking us to announce in removing these gates that we are going to remove in the next 49 days. In carrying these gates to Hebron, he is announcing, one, the supernatural strength he has. The moment you put supernatural before strength, you're saying that this strength is not his, this strength is from God. That I have a strength, that we have a strength, we possess a strength that is not natural, that is not actually, and that's not great caliber, that is not the finest of human strength. It is supernatural as it comes from another source. And he happens to be the one who created the entire earth and was there in Genesis 1-2 when God spoke. That strength. That is the strength we are supposed to tap into. Not one person, not two persons, but an entire people tap into this. The second thing he's announcing when he carries the gates is he's declaring an intimidating victory. An intimidating victory. Because guess who ruled the land at that time? The Philistines. Samson's story is a story in the book of Judges when there were no kings, but judges used to take care of the land, and the Philistines were ravaging the land. They could go wherever they wanted. And Samson rises up and sometimes deliberately goes and fights them. Intimidating victory. You thought you could have me? You thought you could take me? Look what I have done. The third thing he was doing was stirring Judah's zeal. Judah was supposed to be a tribe that stands on the forefront. Judah was supposed to be a tribe that led warfare. And what did Judah do? In, Genesis, in Judges 15, you find that Judah actually is so scared of the Philistines that they go to Samson, who had just killed Philistines, and go and say to Samson, why have you done this? We want to bind you and deliver you over to the Philistines. And Samson says, really? And 3,000 of them come to Samson catch him, bind him, hand him over to the Philistines. And that's when Samson grabs a jawbone of an ass, breaks his bonds, and kills a thousand Philistines. The point being, in announcing what he is doing on top of a hill opposite Hebron, as the sun comes up, in full view of the city, 62 kilometers from Gaza, he is declaring to them, listen, you are Judah. Stir up your zeal. Stir up your zeal. You're supposed to be on the forefront. You're supposed to be leading. As we begin to do what we do, I guarantee you, without provocation, other churches will begin to rise to the same thing. We don't have to tell them what we are doing. Something will begin to stir in the spirit. 49 cons consistent days of removing the gates of the city so that heaven can flood the city. If you think your worship can change the atmosphere in our midst, and you have experienced it time and time again, then imagine what prayer does. If you think calling out to false gods five times a day in certain nations brings in a blanket over a city, imagine what happens when 49 days of prayer goes out from different people who know how to pray and who are praying according to the will of God. 
This is why I say be aware and alert to what is around us so that we don't get cowed down by a blanket that is thrown upon us to smother us. Rise up each day with such freshness saying, oh God, I know who and what I'm supposed to do. Don't wait till 10.30 or 11 to decide, hmm, maybe I should muscle up. Yeah, Pavan, wake up earlier. And here is Samson walking up the hill saying, Judah, be stirred up. Do not do what you did again, like you did in Judges 15 verse 12, where you kowtowed with the Philistines, handing over one of your own, one who is called to be a judge, you handed him over to save your skin. Where is the Judah that I remember that led from the front? Where is your forefather's genes when he stood and said, give me those hills where the Anax live? Where is that Judah? And I've shared this story before, but one of the things that um, happened to uh, Paul, Eddie's son, who some of you have met, is... Um, um, he had a middle name and they used to call him by his middle name and Paul didn't speak for the first two years of his life and they were worried that there was something wrong with him. And then Paul's elder brother, Edward, once came to Paul and instead of calling him by his middle name, which the parents were using when God had specifically told them to call him Paul, and they didn't for the first two years, his older brother, Edward, comes and says, what's wrong with you, man? Why don't you speak? Don't you know your name is Paul? And the moment he does that, Paul starts speaking. There is something to returning to the call of your origin. It doesn't matter what has happened to you. It doesn't matter what is happening to me. There is something to returning to the call of my origin. Because when I return to the call of my origin, something clicks inside of me. But Jacob, you don't know my circumstances. Of course your circumstances are difficult. You don't know what I've been through. Of course you've been through something really hard that nobody else experiences, that nobody else understands. But in the midst of that struggle, struggle, struggle to reach back to the call of your origin, because when you do, something clicks inside. Something begins to rise inside that is strong enough to break the yoke of your neck. And the intent is always, can I prevent him from reaching the call of his origin, reaching back to the call of his origin, because he's so swamped by what I have done that he cannot even remember what his real name is. And then the fourth thing that is accomplished by Samson going up that hill is <laughs> he provokes the start of a new conflict. The Philistines were fine. They were not um, being nasty to Israel. And now what does Samson go and do? He goes and pulls the gates out. He takes them. Uh, uh, he doesn't allow them to overcome him. And now what he's done is he's gone and provoked war. That's the fourth thing he's doing. He's provoking a conflict. God, at times, very clearly in the Bible says, I want you to go provoke hostilities. He provokes hostilities. Samson's life was a constant provocation of hostility where he would go beat up a few Philistines so that they would come to war. And when they would come to war, he would beat them up more. So he'd beat up two and the two would be upset and they would go to their king and the king would bring 300 so he'd beat up 300. That was his MO. This is where we are heading. 
This is where we are at, Acts 29. This is where we are heading. It also gives new meaning to Matthew 16, 18, where it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. You cannot keep the church out, and you cannot keep the evil in. Any questions before we go on? So this is heavy lifting, guys, and uh, Pawan will tell you that when you lift, you have to bend your knees. This is heavy lifting. This is a huge new God. So you, like Jane was saying last night, you have to exchange present thinking for a new wineskin. This is heavy lifting, so you will have to bend your knees. And this is a huge new God, so you'll have to... grab a stool this kind and put it here and then put your coffee on it and then watch that fall and not be scared by it. And sorry. So <laughs> yeah. It's heavy lifting, lifting so we'll have to learn to bend our knees. This is, a hu this is a new huge God. So I'll have to exchange my present thinking for new wineskins. I'll have to exchange my present thinking for new wineskins. Because you can't pour this wine into a present wineskin. Cannot. Pardon? Yeah, when lifting is heavy and you're not used to lifting heavy things, uh, then what has to happen is you can't lift things like this because then you'll be in this position for the rest of your life. You'll have to bend your knees. And so you have to learn new ways to go into this. You can't do it the old ways. And then if you really want to make it spiritual, bending the knees is going down your knees and praying, but that I thought of just now. So, <laughs> so this is a huge new God. So exchange present thinking for new wineskins. New wine, the new wineskin is this, our mind is a new wineskin, a new way of thinking. So here are some possible handicaps that we may have to acknowledge. And if you acknowledge these handicaps as present in your life, you have a fighting chance of overcoming them and engaging in what God is going to do. Let me say it again. Here are a few possible handicaps that we may have in our lives that if we acknowledge as having them, we will be able to overcome them and we will be able to engage with God. We'll have a fighting chance to engage with God. So the first handicap that we at Acts 29 may have, some of us at Acts 29 may have, is from Proverbs 26, verse 13, where it says, the sluggard or the lazy guy says, there is a lion on the roads, there's a devouring lion roaming the streets, and therefore the person refuses to step out. So some of us may just be lazy to engage in this, as in, this is too much work. This is more than our father in Psalm 117. I don't want this. And so you can stay out of it. Proverbs 26 verse 13 says, the sluggard says in his head or mind, or the sluggard says, there's a lion in the streets. There's a devouring lion roaming the roads. So I don't want to go out. Laziness. I mean, as I go through this list, I think I have all of them. 
this is his laziness. That why do today why you can what you can do day after? Second, you won't go without Deborah. You won't go without Deborah. As in, in Judges chapter 4, verse 9, it says that um, Barak, the leader of Israel at that time, one of the judges says to Deborah, I've got to go fight, but I don't want to go without you. Will you come with me? If you come with me, then I can uh, go and w uh, fight this battle. And Deborah says to him, I'll come with you, but I want you to know this, that because you've asked me to come with you, Sisera will die at the hands of a woman, and you will not get what was due. Some of us will not step out if Deborah doesn't go with us. The only one who should have Deborah go with him is Derek, nobody else. Because Derek's uh, fiance's name is Iris Deborah, so it's okay for him. But for the rest of us, we can go without Deborah. So, some of us won't go without Deborah. Judges chapter 4, verse 9. Judges chapter 4, verse 9. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Third handicap. Some of us don't have a pa an alert passion to lap up water like a dog. Judges chapter 7, verse 5. Judges chapter 7, verse 5. Some of us don't have the alert passion. There's alertness and passion mixed together. Some of us don't have the alert passion to lap up water like a dog. That's how Gideon chose his 300. What are we talking about? We're talking about possible handicaps in our life that will prevent us from engaging with God. That will prevent us from having a new mindset and new place that we are entering into a new territory we won't be able to participate but if we acknowledge this we have a fighting chance to engage acknowledging is saying oh god this is my condition of all these things perhaps all apply to me but this one i i'm so sucked into that i need help fourth one you want to say farewell or you want to bury your father before you will follow God. Luke chapter 9, verse 59. Jesus, let me just go say goodbye to my friends and family. Or Jesus, let me bury my father and then I'll come with and do what you want me to. Some of us will not join in because we need to say farewell to our friends or bury our father before we will join God in his stepping out. And the last one, some of us are just exhausted and need some time. First Samuel 30, First Samuel 30, verse 10, David is chasing the guys who um, burned Ziklag down and took his wives and kids and the wives and kids of his men. And as they're going f forward, there are about 600 of them and 200 of them are so exhausted that they can't go further and David lets them stay. And he chases them with 400, recovers all, comes back, and shares with the 200 that are exhausted the spoils of war. First Samuel 30, verse 10. Some of us are just exhausted because of the pressure and the 
way we've had to work over the last few years and we need time. And that is a legitimate uh, handicap. But it doesn't mean a vacation in Hawaii forever. Any questions on these things that I've just said? Explain number two. You won't go without Deborah. Some of us will only step into things if our husbands come along, if our friends come along, if the pastor comes along, if the leader comes along, if our closest buddy comes along, if the partner that we've walked with in previous escapades comes along. So we will not go when God calls us on our, out on our own. I mean, I, I mean, every time Chad says, you are supposed to go to the nations and stay there for three months, I'm thinking to myself, no, I prefer my house and my car. I don't want to go. It's like, if you get me an apartment in one of those high-rises in New York, with a vehicle and a driver, perhaps, till I get used to the roads. But otherwise, three-day trips are my thing. And what if God is saying, no, three-day trips are done. Any questions? Number three. You don't have an alert passion to lap water like a dog. As in, um, it's one thing not to be lazy. It's another thing to be also ran. Where you'll do what you're told, but there's no, give me more, give me more. I want that hill. Please, 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 please take me off to the battlefield. Please, I want to fight. Th that is in there. It's, it's like, okay, I'll do what you tell me to. There's not this, there's not, not this hunger that wants to devour everything in its path. Oh my God, if that is your condition, take an axe and swing it this way. Like, miss your head, but swing it. Go ahead, Diana. Yeah, give me, give me that. Guys, there's this line I heard and I've, I've been pondering on it for a while. If we develop a heritage, we will get our inheritance. If you develop your heritage in God, you will get your inheritance in God. Inheritance is what someone gives you because they have earned it and now the, you are there um, next in line and they give it to you. But a heritage is something that can both receive an inheritance, sustain the inheritance, develop the inheritance. If your heritage, for example, if, you, if your heritage is the ability to take wealth and multiply it, then if you're given an inheritance of money, guess what will happen to it? It will grow more than your father ever made. I want to come from that kind of a heritage that has the ability like, to, like Caleb to not shy away from things. To not look at my battle wounds and scars and look at a uh, 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 broken nose that happened in the eighth game of the Stanley Cup and then say, no, I'm not going to play anymore because my nose is out of shape. No, it's like, give me another Stanley Cup finals and this time we'll take it home. Unless, of course, you're the Maple Leafs, which then changes everything. Sorry, Evan. I, I, I just told myself I won't take a shot at the maple leaves, but this is a weakness I have.
alert passion to lap water like a dog. Hey, this is the heritage that I want at Acts 29, that I want for myself. Because breakers need to be like this. You can't be masters of breakthrough and possessors of the breach. You can't be a breaker with a big B or a small B if we don't have this kind of an attitude that keeps shaping up inside. It should be like a furnace inside that keeps forging these things. God won't have to go looking anywhere then. Any questions, any thoughts? I can't hear you. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. That's just for TV ads. Do not try it at home. Yeah. Any other questions before I move on to my conclusion, which is the second half of the notes? Um, I d you can develop that attitude by <laughs> the first thing I would do is ask for hunger. C it's strange. Our God is a God who has the ability to give hunger so that you can ask, so that he can satisfy. So when he says, blessed are the hungry, for they shall be fed, he also is meaning, listen, I know you're not hungry, so come to me and I'll help you get hungry. So that's the first step. When I'm not in love, when I'm not hungry, when I don't feel connected to him, and I don't want to do something, why even try to drum it up? Why not go to the giver and say, you're the source of all these things, I need hunger. That's where it starts, eh? Then the second thing is, um, it is only when you hang out with the passionate that your mediocrity is exposed, so you will have to hang out with the passionate. Every time you hang out with those that are more passionate than you, that is the only time your mediocrity will be exposed. Otherwise, you'll be quite content with your mediocrity. How do I know a person is mediocre when they disconnect with a group that is passionate? That's when you know. All right, mediocrity is just around the bend. Why? Because the moment you disconnect from a people or a company or a football team that is passionate, you're done, man. It's only a matter of time before mediocrity creeps in. And then the third one to answer all this is on Diana's time, not on my time. It was her question. And the third one is, um, you can have passion, you can have hunger, but if you don't have a challenge, it lies waste. You have to have opportunity. You have to have a challenge that is greater than you to prove that what you have now is going to be challenging enough to take on. What's the point of having passion and hunger if all you're snacking on is Brussels sprouts? I have a friend in South Africa. He runs a shop where they have meat, all kinds of meat, eh? And so once I uh, um, went to his shop and I said, oh, so you shot all these animals? And his answer was so cool. He said, no, Jacob, I didn't shoot it. I hunted them. I said, what do you mean? He said, hunting takes time. He said, there's, a th there's this thing in it where you go after what you're going to eat. You have to, you have to go after it. Then you find it. Then you place yourself in the right spot. And you have to wait. And then you wait and you hunt it. Different from 
going into a park where they are all waiting there and you go I'm not here to argue about whether you should hunt animals or not and uh, um, I have a view on it and I'm not expressing it uh, but uh, difference of the point I'm trying to make is there is something to I don't remember the point moving on <laughs> To take on the persona and anointing of the breach possessor or the master of breakthrough or the breaker, to take on the persona and the anointing, we talked about this yesterday, that to step into this, you have to take on the persona and the anointing of the breaker, of the breach possessor, of the master of breakthrough, the Lord. How do we go about it? First one, Jeremiah 6.16, Jeremiah 6.16, Jeremiah 6.16. I love this verse. Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is. Walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. But you said, we will not walk in it. Ask. As, an a as Acts 29, either go and look at what God has already told this church. Go and look at what God is saying. Ask and acknowledge what this church has been called to. The ancient paths, ancient doors that we are supposed to open that has been appointed to us. This global revival announced and ignited that we've taught for the last six months. Ask and acknowledge it. And I'm not talking about the pastor doing it or a few guys up here doing it. I'm talking about the church as a whole saying, all right, we acknowledge the ancient path that you've called us to, the ancient doors that we are supposed to open. We stand at the crossroads and look, and look at what you've taught us, look at what you've been saying, look at what you've been prophesying, look at what I have joined and I acknowledge it. It's that whole idea of going back to the call of your origin, finding out that you belong to the tribe of Judah, finding out that you have Caleb's DNA. And if you're not convinced of it, then you have only two choices. Either get convinced of it or stay on the fringes. You'll still get rewarded, but you miss out on the adventure. Any questions? There's no guilt that I'm trying to put on you. Oh my God, man, if I don't go down this road and if you don't go down this road, if you actually believe that this is the road God has appointed to us, then we will be called to account for this when we meet him face to face. Because this was given to us to do. He'll ask us. He'll ask me for sure. Hey, did a lot of teaching. Didn't do anything else after that, did ya? Don't want to find myself there. I saw this cartoon of a huge bowl of goldfish, like a school of goldfish who are being taught and taught and taught. And there's this really fat fish. And then they're going out to the playground and they're playing on the seesaw. And every time this fat fish that has been taught a lot sits on the seesaw, the other f goldfish, the thinner goldfish on the other end goes out of the bowl and dies. 
I was looking at it and thinking to myself, don't want to get into that place where we've been taught so much that every time we sit, someone gets flipped out of the bowl and dies. Time to go out and do what we're supposed to. Next thing you need to do and I need to do if you want to take on the persona and anointing of the breaker or the breach possessor is Jeremiah 12.5. Jeremiah 12.5. Jeremiah has got too many good scriptures that I like. He must have been an okay guy, though he cried a lot. Jeremiah 12, verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? If you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? As in, guys, run consistently against the opposition you face today and to learn to, and learn to walk alertly today because tomorrow you will walk among lions and you will race against horses. As in, how do, we, how, do we, how, how do we walk in this? Today, run consistently against the opposition you face. I know that each of us is facing opposition, spiritual opposition, physical opposition, emotional opposition, mental opposition, financial opposition. We're all facing it. There's nobody here who's not facing it in some form or the other, at some level or the other. But the ability to run consistently against it and consistently running against something is to keep improving, not gradually, but there's this, there's this, there's this, way that I'm keeping on fighting it and as I'm doing it, I am improving. Run consistently against the opposition you face. Run alertly. Walk alertly today. And if you do, then tomorrow you can walk amongst the lions. Why is it saying that, that if you can't walk in safe country, how will you walk in the thickets of the Jordan? What it's trying to say there was the thickets of the Jordan was, was a den of lions. And God is saying, hey, Jeremiah, if you can't walk safely amongst people that aren't going to devour you, how are you going to walk in the thickets of Jordan which have lions in them? As in Jacob, walk alertly today. Have your skills that you have learned thus far from people, from churches, from people who taught you well, from the teachings you've received, Learn how to walk alertly so that tomorrow I can put you in a thicket full of lions and you are so aware that you don't get devoured. By the same token, run consistently against the opposition. I know the opposition you're facing, Jacob. I know how you feel emotionally. I know how you feel mentally. I know how you feel spiritually. I know how you feel physically. I know you're overwhelmed at times. But my God, man, you have learned, son, how to run consistently. Continuously running consistently against opposition. This is coming against you? Great. Now you know how to parry that thrust. This is coming in against you? You know how to deftly move out of the way and it goes past you. This is coming against you? You know how to duck and you come up bobbing and you're back into normal health again. You've learned how to do this. Great. Now let me take you so that you can run with the horses. Because what we are doing tomorrow, and I really mean tomorrow, is new territory, new wineskin, new God, huge God, very different. So, run with the horses. But Jacob, I have got so many problems. True, so do I. But we have to do this together and I'll get to that. There are four more points to go. Any questions? I'm not trying to rah-rah you. I'm 
I'm just telling you this is the only reason that's worth living for. There's no other reason to live. This is the only exciting thing in the world. You think your job is exciting? Really? Ask anyone who's over 50 and they'll tell you what about your job. This is what is worth living for, man. And you take, do you realize what a privilege we have that this is starting with us? That's going to go across the globe. That some of the things you do today will become things that will be done for years and years and years in city after city after city. If you listen to my teaching yesterday, I talked about two ordinary people called Anand and Anandi and Kalyani. Sorry, Anand and Kalyani. That they are two ordinary people who did not know the language, who went into the heart of Hinduism and were able to plant 800 churches through a very simple method. And we are talking about them in Canada now. God only knows how many people have heard of this. They couldn't care less, but they don't watch what we do. But the point is this, what we do today will affect the world again and again and again and again. And isn't it a privilege to be part of this? I mean, I find myself sometimes scratching my head thinking, really us? First I look at myself, and then I look at you. I think to myself, oh my God. This is the only thing worth living for. Don't fool yourself. Next one. And you realize, don't you, that if I'm teaching this and I'm leading this, that I will face this more than anybody else. And I'll have to practice this and learn this better than anyone else. This is the one place where I can't push you in front of the bus before I stand in front of the bus because it doesn't work that way. I'd gladly do that, but unfortunately, it's not how it works. No, I wouldn't gladly do that. I was kidding. There might be new people listening to this. Huh? Next one. Eliminate weaknesses. Eliminate weaknesses. Judges 16 verse 21. Such a sad verse. And so they tie him to two pillars and there are 3,000 to 5,000 Philistines mocking him or more and they gouge his eyes out. But then you see in chapter 14 verse 2 that he goes to Timnah and he sees a woman there and he says, I want her as my wife. His parents say no, but he insists. Takes her as his wife. Then you go to 16 verse 1 and he sees a prostitute and he wants to go lie down with her. Then you see in chapter 16, verse 4, he sees Delilah and now he wants to be with her. This was a man who had a severe weakness, which was his eyes. And it's almost reminiscent of Eve looking at the fruit and seeing that it was pleasing to her eyes and desiring it. It is the same thing that's happening to Samson again and again and again. What is the price he pays? He has his eyes gouged out. 
eliminate weakness so it can't be exploited or turned against you. El eliminate weakness from your life. I I'm talking about striking weaknesses. Eh? I'm not talking about a, a sin that you commit or fall into. I'm talking about striking weaknesses that you do not let go of, that I do not let go of, that I nurture. Eliminate weaknesses because as we go into this new territory, it can be exploited, it can be turned against you. There's a scripture in Nahum chapter 2, verse 1, that I'm taking completely out of context. But I love what it says. It says, strengthen your flanks. Watch your back. Strengthen your flanks. Strengthen your flanks. It says that in the New King James. So as I'm saying this, many of us must be thinking, man, this isn't a good idea at all. Like, this is just a recipe for more trouble. Many of us are thinking that. That maybe this is not for me now. Well, then my question is when? Some of the things we've been dealing with, we've been dealing with it for years, right? So when? When you turn 60, 70, 80? What if you're not like Caleb? What if you instead thought like this? That this is the time of God and he's assigning us something and Jacob will be careful in what he assigns to me so that I don't carry more than that which can break my back. It'll always be more than you presently carry, but it won't be so bad that it'll break your back. That this is God's time for this, that he's assigning us this task, that Jacob will have enough sense to assign me a role in it that will be something that stretches me, but won't be something that'll break me. Two, that God will warn us of what not to step into. The first one is a sign. Second one is warn. Second one is warn. That we warn uh, Jeremy and uh, that we warn uh, each other saying, okay, this is an area that you don't go into. God will warn us. Listen, I want you to leave um, Burnaby alone or I want you to leave White Rock alone or whatever. The next thing is draw aside. Some of us will be given time to draw aside to recoup our strength, okay? That's another thing that God does where he sees you running really hard and you sees that you're in that place where you are exhausted mentally or emotionally or spiritually and then God says, all right, so... I want you to draw aside. Jesus used to do this. Jesus did exactly these steps that I'm telling you. He would assign the apostles thing to do. He would warn them not to go to the um, uh, Gentiles. He would draw them aside when they had spent two, three days ministering to people. Then once they were drawn aside, he would rejuvenate them. They would be healed and then he would send them right back. So why not us? What are we waiting for? How long will we wait? You think more teaching is going to solve my problems? Guys, everything we are teaching is the same thing repeated differently. After a while, that's exactly what happens. I was talking to a couple from Florida. I mentioned this to a few people. And uh, I was prophesying on them. And they are supposed to go to a country in South Asia. And um, what I told them was, as you go to this country, if you do it correctly, you will bring down an ancient power in that country that has stayed for th almost a thousand years. But if you don't do it correctly, you will die, like physically die. I was surprised at uh, how the words came out, but it was true. 
if they if they go about it correctly they will bring down an ancient stronghold that has lasted for more than 1000 years and that has taken many christian lives particularly missionaries lives but if they do it wrong as in they do not listen to what god is saying and go about it nilly-willy then they will physically die as in they will lose their lives but the great thing is stepping into these things once we follow god's directions we live and we live abundant life and i'm looking forward that to that with you i just needed to throw that in so you know that this is nothing that we go into with song and dance but we go in soberly next one camp by your standard camp by your standard camp by your standard you'll see in um, numbers chapter 2 verse 2 that every tribe had a place that they were supposed to camp around the tent of meeting they would have to put up their banners their their tribe flag and they would camp by their standard what that means is listen you have a certain role at present you have a certain authority at present you have a certain experience at present you have a certain ability at present this is god given he's given you this to walk in well then stay there till god moves you on don't take on presumption do not walk in enthusiasm if you go to second samuel 18 second samuel 18 second samuel 18 second samuel 18 verse 23 It's the story of Ahimaaz I've referred to it many times in the past. Ahimaaz was the son of Zadok a priest who was supposed to walk before God but Ahimaaz wanted to run. He had a camp that he had a standard he was supposed to camp by but he wants to run in verse 18 chapter 18 verse 23 it says he said come what may I want to run. He's been told twice not. Come what may I want to run. So Joab said run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and out ran the Cushite. He ran well. and then go to verse 27 he had a good reputation and so the watchman says to david it seems to me the first one run, runs like ahimaaz the son of zadok he's a good man king david said he comes with good news and then go to verse 30 the king said stand aside and wait here so he stepped aside and stood there why because he did not know what to say he ran he was supposed to be a messenger He was a great runner but a lousy messenger. Camp by your standard, know what you are appointed to. Go back to the call of your origin. Develop who you are. Listen to the prophetic words spoken over your life. See where you are supposed to be at. Camp by your standard. Too many good men take on in presumption or enthusiasm commissions that sabotage their progress and sideline them. Too many good men and too many good women take on either in enthusiasm or in presumption commissions that are not theirs that sabotage their progress and sideline them enthusiasm is not an invitation camp by your standard even when you go away from here like Derek has camp by your standard know who you are connected to the people that you belong to 
you disconnect and you're camping by your own standards. I assure you, this has got nothing to do with Acts 29 or me. I'm just giving you a biblical principle. You can be part of a tribe and you go off on your own and you still carry the name of the tribe, but you're not connected to the tribe. It's only a matter of time before you get stale. The things you say will sound godly, but they are stale. Guys, just two more points. But before that, I want to say that as we step into this, you've got to trust God, the assigner, and you've got to trust Jacob, the assigner. You've got to trust both. You've got to trust that God will protect you even when Jacob won't. And you've got to trust that Jacob will have your best interest at heart and won't put you in harm's way. You've got to trust God, the assigner. Let's assume I, in my foolishness, put you in harm's way. God will still step in. When you need time to recover, God will provide you the time to recover. When you need time to heal or when you need time because you're exhausted, God will provide that. I'll be sensitive enough to that. I don't want to lose a single person as a casualty of war. But I surely want to remove the gates of the city so that heaven can flood. I don't take this responsibility lightly. I'm sufficiently scared of this. Two more. Ah, I love this one. If you want to take on the persona of and the anointing of the breaker and the breach possessor, then know that there'll be these times in the next while where there'll be the rush of the spirit. Eh? There'll be the rush of the spirit where he weaponizes whatever you have in your hand. He weaponizes whatever you have in your hand. It might be a jawbone. It might be a staff. It might be <laughs> a little bit of oil in a flask. It might be um, clapping. I mean, Isaiah 30, verse 32. It's such a cool verse. Read it from the message. Where's my phone? Isaiah 32, verse... Isaiah 30, verse 32. Isaiah 30, verse 32. Isaiah 30, verse 32 from the message. Every blow God lands on them with his club is in time to the music of drums and pipes. God in all-out two-fisted battle fighting against them. Every time you clap... Every time you play the tambourine, every time you drum, the very beat of your music, when it comes from a spirit that is alive to God, becomes like David playing his harp and chasing out demons from uh, uh, Saul. It's the same thing that happens, not even with a harp, with your blooming hands. Where the clapping of your hands, because you don't have drums, every blow God lands on them with his club is in time to the music of my clapping, to the music of drums and pipes. God in all-out, two-fisted battle fighting against them. This is what I mean when I say the rush of the Spirit that begins to weaponize anything in my hands. What is that you have in your hands, Moses? I got a staff. Well, cast it down and pick it up. This now becomes a rod of God. What do you have in your hand, Samson? I got the jawbone of an ass. Well, let me show you what you can do with that. You're a Nazarite. You're picking up a dead bone, but I will show you what you can do with that dead bone. Slaughter 300 of them, and then when you're thirsty, drink out of it. 
What do you have in your hand? All I have is a little bit of oil that I was planning to make cookies with and then die with my son. That flour and that oil will never run out. Expect the rush of the Spirit. Man, Isaiah 59, 19. Isaiah 59, 19. You see who the master of breakthrough is. Isaiah 59, 19. For from the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. Who is the master of breakthrough? He is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one who comes in like a flood. Like a pent-up flood driven by the Spirit. You know, yesterday, after we signed off the service, which was around 9.20, Sheldon didn't stop playing. He kept playing the keyboard. And uh, after Jane did her chow for now, he just kept playing. And then Evan went and sat on the drums. And... Uh, Don started playing the box that he sits on. And suddenly, instead of us wrapping the whole thing up, worship started all over again. And it went on for the next 23 minutes. And it was one of the most powerful times of worship I've ever, ever experienced. And so, you may think, ah, shucks, I missed out on it. No. I think God was finishing what he started. He was not there to receive worship. He was there to finish what he started. We unfortunately abound in time and we have times where we have to wrap up. But sometimes God can turn the afterglow into an afterburn. I want you to be aware of that even as you listen at home and even when worship is done here. This idea of an afterglow turning into an afterburn. An afterglow is that thing you see uh, um, uh, close to twilight where just the horizon begins to glow and you think, ah, the day is coming to an end. And just when you're thinking that, it just kicks into another gear. And the afterburn is what you see when jets take off, like fighter jets, and you see that flame come out. It was literally like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, I can imagine what happened at Refiant. It was almost God saying, listen, I'm descending. So just keep playing. You're not worshipping me. You're just setting music to my descent. It was more that. It was just worship to his descent. It was like uh, the soundtrack to a movie. Only it happened to be God. So even at home, when the thing gets over here, don't say, gosh. Another two and a half hours. Can't he preach short? No. Go into, is there anything else, Lord? There's too much laughter to that comment there. Last point. As we go into the next 49, 49 days and take on the persona and anointing of the breaker, the breach possessor, Learn to operate under his wise counsel. 
learn to operate under his wise counsel. Go to Isaiah 28, Isaiah 28, 23 to 29. Isaiah 28, 23 to 29. Isaiah 28, 23 to 29. Some of my favorite scriptures that are on today, man. Isaiah 28, 23 to 29. Let me read from the NLT because it's very simple. Isaiah 28, 23 to 29. Listen to me. Listen and pay close attention. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? Does he not finally plant his seeds, black cumin, cumin, wheat, barley, and emma wheat, each in its own proper way and each in its proper place? Isaiah seemed very gluten-friendly. The farmer knows just what to do, for God has given him understanding. A heavy sledge is never used to thresh black cumin, rather it's beaten with a light stick. A threshing wheel is never rolled on cumin, instead it is beaten light with a flail. Grain for bread is easily crushed, so he doesn't keep on pounding it. He threshes it under the wheels of a cart, but he doesn't pulverize it. The Lord of Heaven's armies is a wonderful teacher, and he gives the farmer great wisdom. What fascinated me, and you take any version and it gets hidden, that the one who is talking about how to farm and how to thresh is actually Yahweh Sabaoth, or the Lord of the angel armies of heaven. We are talking not about farming here. We are talking about Lord Sabaoth, Yahweh Sabaoth, that's the actual word used. The Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. We are talking about him saying, listen, come to me and I'll give you strategy. Counsel, we defined counsel two weeks ago. Counsel is not reason, it's not majority opinion. Counsel is spirit-sourced direction, spirit-sourced data, spirit-sourced strategic guidance that allows us to make decisions. Spirit-sourced um, uh, data, spirit-sourced direction, spirit-sourced strategic guidance to make amazing God decisions. And over this next little while, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to what God will say tonight for tomorrow morning's short YouTube thing on what we pray for. And to think that he's going to supply it for 49 days, if he doesn't, I won't fake it. If you ever find a YouTube video not appearing one morning, it's because Jacob didn't get anything from him who should supply But I'm trusting that every day for the next 49 days, we will get what we need. Any questions? I'm done. Sorry, Heidi, can you say it again? Yeah. It, uh, it's not primarily by reason or majority opinion, but spirit, source, direction, data, strategic guidance in decision making. That's what counsel is really. Counsel is spirit, source, direction, data, strategic guidance in decision making. And oh my God, you cannot go to war without counsel. You win wars because of counsel. It says so in Proverbs. Any questions? Yeah. 
At present, there's nothing that's left out. What about people who are traveling? They can postpone their plans. But in case they don't postpone their plans, then uh, you should uh, uh, connect every day with one person or the other saying, hey, as you go on this prayer walk, can I, uh, can you take me along? Really, I mean it. Um, I'm on WhatsApp. I can do FaceTime or I can do audio. But can we pray together as you go right now? I've done this, guys. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. I've been in New Zealand praying for someone who's praying in Chennai or in other parts of the world. Um, that was one of the things I was going to suggest, that you can always do it two by two. If you want to, you don't have to. The great thing about two by two is not just the protection aspect of uh, it that Jesus suggested, but it is also the ability to feed off each other, where your gaps are filled by someone else. But it's not necessary. Any other questions? I found out from people that they leave for work really early when I'm sleeping. So I'll be doing it the previous night so and send it the previous night so you get it in the morning. Because by the time I wake up, most of you are having lunch. Pavan, uh, most of you are having supper. Me, most of you are having lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Any questions? Are you scared enough? Keep your masks on if you're scared enough. Oh, great. Oh, no, Nick was going to pull his off. <laughs> yeah, so any questions, guys? Yeah, me too. It's like jumping, uh, going bungee jumping. You're scared, but you're looking forward to it? Okay. Okay, well... Pick something else. Um, what's that thing where you go down a th zip lining? I don't know. Okay. Anyways, I'll just read out something and then we'll. I want to end with a song. And the reason I want to end with the song is not because of the song, but because I want us to snap out of our uh, flesh and uh, really worship without being able to sing loud, put all our heart and soul into it. I want us to try that. Because I want you to fight off the dullness that is going to try and smother our ability to connect. Just be aware of that. I want us to break it. I want us to break it every morning. I have a practice now. In, the room, in a room facing outwards, I've set up a chair that looks outward and I call it my watchtower. Every morning, before I check my messages, before I look at my phone, before I do anything, I go and sit on that chair and I start my day with a freshness that has to stay with me so that nothing